and welcome to Manga Mavics. We're a podcast devoted to talking about manga as both a medium and as an industry. I'm your host, Lovro Miyasha, and welcome back to our LGB Thanksgiving theme month, with an episode coming out just on Thanksgiving as a little present to you in the form of another great interview. It's an exciting one too, because while we've talked with many people in the manga localization community, this is our first interview with someone who is actually writing a manga of their own. We are delighted to have on Jax Cottrell, digital media strategist, writer, and video maker for Noir Caesar Entertainment and Black Girls Anime. Jax joins us to chat about their journey from fan to professional, sharing their background as an anime fan, how they got started with Noir Caesar, and their new manga, Hanako Toba, The Language of Flowers. They also share their thoughts on the Black anime community, making spaces for Black fans and creators, and the importance of authentic and accurate representation. Plus, we chat about Jax's phenomenal video essays. The extensive research they did while writing Nakotoba, their journey into voice acting, and again, so much more. So ignore your bickering family this Thanksgiving and listen to this fantastic interview with Jackson instead, a budding talent in the veritable garden of international manga makers. We spotlighted manga localizers on Manga Mavericks before, but today we're excited to host on the show someone who is making their own manga, as well as doing great work sharing theirs and others' diverse voices and perspectives through producing manga, animation, blog posts, analysis videos, interviews, merchandise and apparel, and so much more. We're so excited to welcome on Jax Cottrell of Noir Caesar Entertainment, their digital content strategist. Thank you so much for coming on. Talking with us, Jack. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being on. I was very excited about this today. Like I've been hyped about this like since we first talked about it. And I mean, I already love. I said yes immediately because I love your screen name, Lumron Mayasha. Like that's my <laughs> childhood right there. So I was just like, yes, this is automatically like a good, cool person. So uh, yes, like please, like take all my time you need. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I think we both share a lot of Inuyasha in particular. I watched your recent video on Sashomaru's baby mama drama. <laughs> yes, I had to. I had to make that video because I was like, everyone was so curious. And of course, the first thing that came to my mind was Ram. But I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Like, I'm, I loved Rin when I was a little girl. I loved her character. Like, I love Sashomaru. And if they wind up being together, I'm going to keep my peace on it. And hopefully they're both <laughs> alive and well and happy. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what you want for the characters is for them to be happy. But yeah, I also like your theory, though, that maybe Sashomaru could have married a different human woman who'd be a mother figure to Rin. And I thought that that was also a cool way to go with it. But I'm also excited for Yashihime in the fall, too, as a huge fan. But yeah, also, I've been a big fan of yours for a while now. I think I first heard you on the Anime Feminist podcast during their Pichiko to Hotkin discussions. Oh my god, and, uh, yes! I can't believe that. I believe that was two years ago, and that's really when I kind of started getting back into it, because I had taken kind of a break from anything like kind of social media related, um, anything kind of like nerd, like journalism related, um, 
So it's nice to finally kind of get back into it after trying to figure out a lot of things. And I'm really excited to kind of go forward in my career. So thank you very much. It's really encouraging, especially because I get moments where I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Or is this really for me? Or this just seems like such a lofty dream. Like, what if I can't make it happen? But then I'm like, no, I have to make it happen. Like, there is like no other way for me. Like, this is what I am going for, like 100%. So it really helps to have the support. So thank you very much. Of course, and you're doing so much work because you're making your own manga, Hanakotoba, The Language of Flowers, and you're producing Noir Analysis video series over on the Noir Caesar YouTube channel and ton of, and also making reviews, all sorts of great analysis content and stuff. And so, and that's just on top of all the other work you're doing in Noir Caesar. And also you set up the, your a hentai review series on OnlyFans. Yes, so. I've got to get back into doing that. Like, I started off doing it, and I was really excited, but then, like, all of the craziness happened with every, with the current events, and that really took away, like, a lot of my time and my energy and my, like, motivation. I was, like, completely consumed with the protests and stuff like that, and, and attending the protests and getting ready for it. And so I really want to get back into it, and I think I found out, I think I found a better way to do it. I may actually leave OnlyFans, um and do Patreon, but the trick with Patreon is that I have to go through, uh, I think it's Vimeo, another video service or something like that, which is really expensive. So, but if that's what I kind of have to do, I figure I'll just, you know, go ahead and make the content family-friendly, as family-friendly <laughs> as you can when you're talking about hentai, I guess. Like, you know, I'll make it social media appropriate, and I'll make my videos social media appropriate, and then put, like, the bonus content, you know, like, the X-rated stuff, like, probably on my Patreon. I see a lot of different content creators are using Patreon, so that's definitely something that I want to get more serious about doing, Um, and I'm really excited about going forward with that, because a lot of people have been asking me about that, and I really love the idea of being able to explore, like, you know, like, animated pornography from the perspective of just, you know, not only being a huge fan of it, like, openly huge, openly a huge fan of it, but, you know, wanting to see it from, like, you know, the psychological perspective, and um, also the perspective of being a former sex worker and specifically a former dominatrix, which is like 100% psychological, even though everybody's like, oh, whips and chains, like it's mostly heavily psychological. So I love any type of media where I can bring, you know, my love of sociology, psychology, you know, and exploration of the world into what I am doing, especially incorporating it into my favorite nerdy hobbies and kind of exploring it from exploring different things, like from the angle of, you know, what are people not looking at? You know, let's really dig deep and kind of pick through it. So I really love doing that. And I love the fact that even though I wasn't able to finish going to school for psychology, like it, it's still like I was, I still consider myself like a independent study, like for the rest of my life, like watching videos, taking the free classes where I can and just really learning more like about it. So eventually I think I want to go back to, to become a, a counselor so I can like help other people. But for right now, like I'm really just kind of enjoying, you know, like what my knowledge so far has, what I, what I've been able to contribute to like anime and manga and video games and nerd culture, like with this like knowledge and like this, weird mixture of like i don't know like i have to know everything i i love i love to know how everything <laughs> ticks i love to know how everything works you know and it's like um one of my therapists said that's like a product of me having autism you know the hyper fixations and everything and it's like now that i'm actually learning how to control my x gene that's what i like to call my autism my x gene like my superpower um i now that i'm learning how to actually control it and manage it and you know see like all of these little small quirks that you know a lot of people specifically um people who are non-neurodivergent will see, you know, the little quirks of autism and think, oh, you know, that's kind of bad or whatever like that. You know, why are you like overthinking or overanalyzing? And now I can actually put that to good use. So it's just like, you know, 
I don't know, Storm learning how to use her powers for the first time. And that's kind of where I am in life. And I love that I'm able to be so open about it because I wasn't and I was in denial about it for so long, for so many years. So, you know, because it's a, sadly, I was told by therapists, the very, my, one of my very first therapists is that because I was black, I, you know, couldn't possibly have autism. And then, yeah, I know, crazy, right? Like crazy. That is nuts. racist. Like, that is just flat out racist. It is, and you racism. know, but I didn't, I didn't think. Believe it or not, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll explain this right now. I didn't think that they were wrong, only because if you look at, and again, this all traces back to white supremacy, but the the way the black community looks at mental neurodivergencies, you know, is that you know, it's it's not good. You know, it's not enough that you know oh, my child was more black, you know, or they were, you know, born a non-man and they're queer. Now we have to worry about them being quote unquote retarded. And I hate using that word, but that's really how a lot of black people will see that, you know, and call that, you know. So I try, I remember, I remember using the word neurodivergent um, on social mm-hmm. media very recently. And someone said, just say retarded. And I mean, like, I went off. Like, I mean, like, I went off. Like, there was no shutting me down. Like, I was mad for days about it. But, like, that's why I want to, you know, that's why I'm so open about, like, what I talk about. You know, like, even, like, the crazy things, like, being a furry, being neuro, you know, divergent, being non-binary, being pansexual, you know, just being, like, a black content creator. I want all these aspects of me out there because I want people to see that, you know, yes, you know, you can be your complete self. Yes, you're represented. You know, it's, you know, people out here who are like you, people who can relate to what you're going through. And that's what I wanted to see more. I want to see more diversity. And this is going to sound crazy, but my goal is more diversity in the black community. Like Mm -hmm. as far as that goes. So that is ultimately what my goal is. That's so awesome. You bring so many unique perspectives and experiences that you have into your work. And that's just really awesome to hear. I mean, you just touched upon uh, your furry fan for a minute and that you, Apply that to your B stars analysis video, yeah, which was thank really you. great. Oh my god, I'm so glad you. I'm so glad you like said that. Thank you so much. Like, I keep forgetting people actually watch my videos. Like, no joke. So when people tell me they watch my videos, I'm like, oh my god, really? Like, thank you. <laughs> like, it's still kind of surreal. So I'm trying to take it in. But also the call to action for more diversity in fandom in the community specifically a black voices people of color voices is so important and so essential i'm so glad that you and the worst our team are putting that work in i wanted to ask you when did you first like kind of recognize the need for that push like when you were younger when did you maybe first start being conscious of hey there's a lack of diversity in these spaces and we need to be doing the work to increase that I would say I became aware of it um, because when I was a child, um, I was told that video games, comics, etc., you know, like all of that were for boys, you know, and mm-hmm. to have such an interest. And I mean, like when I say I have an interest in, I mean, like I was maybe whenever this whatever year the Sega Genesis came out, that was probably and that was my very first console. So that was probably what, you know, started me. On it, I was I was like still in the single digits when it first came out. I think, yeah, I, I definitely had to have been because I was a kid, kid, and that you know for for my parents were I'm pretty sure they were just like you know and in that same year I was like I want a skateboard and I want to take a Genesis in <laughs> comparison to my sister, my younger sister, who wanted Barbies and everything girly and pink and you know just all the traditionally you know like feminine things traditionally major quotation marks like I use that word very loosely <laughs> traditionally, but it was such a you know a, I think it was a I think it was startling for them because they were just like, this is 
very different. This is very, very, very different. And we're a little worried because, you know, like I wasn't anything like, you know, like the, ah, I hate, I hate, I need, I need words that aren't traditional and normal. I hate those words. My God. <laughs> uh, I got to find, I got to figure out words for like what I'm trying to say, but you know, that I didn't quite fit into society's perception of what is, what a little girl should be essentially you know mm-hmm. so cute and girly playing with the girls no i wanted to rough house with the boys I, I wanted to fight and get rowdy you know i wanted to have fun you know like really really like and not that you couldn't have fun doing like the more feminine things but i wanted to you know be more engaged with the guys and to be told you know and of course that crossover was you know whenever my me and my cousins would go over and i was all girls couple of boys you know whenever they'd want to play like house or barbie or whatever like that i'd be like on the nintendo like oh man this is way better you know so i'd be all, always by myself and like nobody would ever you know really want to play with me because you know they were involved with my other cousins and the guys were like well we don't want to play with a girl and i think that's when i slowly became conscious of the fact that okay there is no place for me in this and you know even in school with pokemon being one of my loves pokemon is the love of my life i have a pokemon tattoo like that is one of the mm-hmm. that is one of the cornerstones of what my of my identity i love pokemon like from re- the days of red and blue and i remember uh being one of the no i remember being the only girl in my class who had the game boy with pokemon red and i was trying to you know you know just talking with the guys and stuff like that and they'd be like no you can't play with us and i remember being so sad about that oh and then, you know, as I got older, um, it's really crazy because I remember Donald Glover said it didn't become, you know, it's just now legal to become a black, to be a black nerd. Um, <laughs> and I think that kind of applies more towards black men and less towards black non-men, um, heavily. <laughs> and, um, so it took me so much longer to come out of my shell because I thought, I was, you know, the weird one, the freak, you know, uh, I was the white girl for having, you know, interest in white hobbies like video games. And, you know, once I got into anime, which ironically enough, it was a black guy in the sixth grade, I believe, who, who it was who got me into anime. And, you know, he, too, was the different one, the alternative, you know, black kid who liked the rock, you know, like the punk and everything like that. And, you know, that was me, too. But at the same time, like you're talking about being a black kid on the south side of Chicago, um, and there really wasn't any room for that growing up, like, especially not from, not from the girls, not from the girls, like, at all, and if they're, and if you were accepted, it was because, you know, you were, you know, straight up, like, a dyke, like, and, like, that was it, like, and I'm, I, I do not mean to use that word the way that I'm using it, but I'm saying that based off of an event in my life, when I was, an event in my childhood, when I was maybe, I don't know, oh, God, I had to have been, like, seven, eight, nine, or something like that, like, I was, I was young, and I went to the store with my dad, and I wanted a pair of Air Jordans, and they were the high tops, not the girl cut ones, and my dad flat out yelled at me, he's like, are you a dyke, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, like, you know, like, what, like, what, how do you wrap your head around such ignorance and hatred at a young age, plus, that scares you straight, I was scared straight for a lot of years, and it caused, like, a lot of grief, and concern, which is also why, you know, I'm so open about being part of the queer community as well. But um, as I continue to get older, it really wasn't until, and I say this very loosely, but it really wasn't until I got into high school and started, and I moved away from Chicago. So I was in the suburbs of Chicago for a long time, or for like four or five years, I want to say for high school. Um, well, four years, but you know, like another year, like after that. And it wasn't until like I got into the suburbs and, you know, I had more white friends and Asian friends that, you know, I realized, wow, it's not just me. And of course, you know, my school also had like uh, other uh, nerdy black kids, but it was just, you know, a very, very small minority. So then I was finally like, okay, you know what? This school doesn't have an anime club. This is what I'm about to do. 
I'm going to petition <laughs> to have an anime club at this school. And just to answer your question, it, the day that we started the anime club, I remember like we hijacked like the school of intercom for it as well. Like we told the lady working the intercom, hey, yeah, we, you know, we, we, we were told we could do this. And, you know, we technically were. We just didn't have it okay by the right people. And, you know, we announced there was an anime club. And, of course, in that announcement was Inuyasha, you know, and <laughs> we were talking about, you know, hey, if you like anime, come to this anime club. And I walked into the club room, which was in the uh, Woodworks class, and um, it was uh, it was a lot of guys, uh, maybe a couple of girls, and largely white. And when I walked in with my best friend Kayla, who was my uh, co-founder, um, and she was white as well, you know, we walked up to the front of the class, say, "Hey, welcome to the anime." Everybody like looked like they had like they could not process it. They were just like, what the fuck? Like, like there was like, and at one point, I will never forget it. Like one guy was literally just like, are you the president? I'm just like, yes, I'm the one who founded the anime club. And it was just like, you couldn't, it was like circuits couldn't connect. It was like watching someone like trying to struggle to process it. Like, and there was a lot of this confusion. And then, you know, we had a couple of people leave, but that's when I realized, damn, I cannot be the only girl into anime and manga, you know, like, they, they just can't be me, but you know what? I'm going to keep being into it. And, you know, over the years, I surrounded myself with more people who were, you know, like me in that interest. But, you know, the more the older I got, the more I realized, damn, there is really not a big area. You know, like, like most aspects, like, black people have to kind of carve out a spot for themselves. And I feel like the same is very much in the industry. You know, where we're, we're honestly told we're not wanted. I mean, like, I'm in the industry. Like, it's we're told many yeah. times we are not wanted. Like, you know, people don't want to hold space for us. You know, why are you so inclusive? Which is just one of the dumbest statements I think I could, like, mm-hmm. ever wrap my head around. But, you know, once I realized that there was such a drive for it, I wanted to do something about it. Because, you know, it was like, I, I know there's other people like me out there. You know, other, like, you know, black people who love anime and manga, especially, you know, black non-men who love, you know, anime, manga, video games, and et cetera like that. Because mm-hmm. we are completely being ignored out here, you know, with the common misconception that black girls don't play, you know, video <laughs> games and don't watch anime. And I'm just sitting out here like, really? Like, you're making that up? Like, that's complete bullshit. Like, in 2020? Like, are you still saying that? Like, so I think that it's it's largely, it largely came from a place of frustration and wanting to make sure that no other little black girl who is a nerd feels that she is out of place. If I can carve out myself a place as one of the more prominent voices of the black of the black nerd community so that another little black nerd can look upon me and say, oh, you know, I'm not wrong, you know, or, you know, being a nerd isn't just for white people or, you know, that sort of, you know, the sort of misconceptions were often heard or, you know, that just because, you like anime or manga or video games doesn't mean you want to be white or doesn't mean you want to be Asian. Like, well, I mean, like some people are like that, but you know, that's that teeny weeny, teeny weeny minority, teeny weeny minority. We're not talking about those people, but like, you know, it's because a lot of these, it is, it is very hurtful. Like, and it is very hurtful. And, you know, you hear a lot about whitewashing, particularly if you're, you know, if you've ever, I promise you, if you line up five black nerds, they've all at least heard you're either, you know, you act white, you talk white, you sound white, or you have white interests. Like, and at least. Oh, gosh. All of them, all of them will put their hands up. I can promise you. Like, I can promise you. If you just pull them all together, it's because it's so common, you know? And I think that's what makes it so frustrating, especially when you see that we're into anime and video games many of which are largely Japanese produced and feature like Asian people. So, you know, it's like, it's like trying to make sense of like, it's like round hole square peg situation. 
So I really wanted to, you know, get myself out there and really get back into the game because I was with the Jace Hall show, you know, where I was going to E3 and doing like the interviews with people and stuff like that, made some bad life decisions, and then, you know, had to find myself and, you know, really discover myself and then decided, you know what, I'm going to take my chance. Um, I found out that there was a job opening with Norris Caesar and I was like, okay, you know what, um, awesome. let me, uh, let me, let me try. And this was maybe excuse me, three years ago, I want to say. Um, and at that point in my life, pardon me, things were very bad. Like I was coming off of a major, I, actually the anniversary of that particular incident without getting like too dark um, and making people uncomfortable, uh, sent my life completely like in a downward spiral. And the crazy thing is like, you would have thought that that event would have been like that's the rock bottom. No, you would know, like, the rock bottom beneath that crumbled, and you discovered there was more rock bottom. Like, it was mind-boggling. So it took me a long time to kind of crawl myself up from that place, especially psychologically and mentally, and get back into, you know, doing what it was that I loved. And when I saw that, you know, and I was still deeply recovering from that, but at the same time, I'm just like, I'm tired of being stagnant, you know? I want to be out there, you know, I feel like, like, there's just something in me that needs to be heard, like, you know, my soul is screaming to get back into what I love so much, which is being a nerd, which was, you know, something that I was told for a good majority of my life, you know, isn't for girls, and isn't for, you know, it's not for you, and you're black, you can't be black and a nerd, trying to just, a lot of that will play on you psychologically, but... I knew that this was my opportunity and, you know, something just told me, okay, get back into it, you know, just get back in. And I reached out to them, you know, I showed them my credentials. Um, they knew that I was a former model for the suicide girls and all that and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and three years, yeah, three years later, now it's like, wow, like the growth has just been incredible. And, you know, at first I was originally trying to write a, a comic for them. Like when I first got started, my script writing, oh my God, it was so bad. Like, oh, cringe, <laughs> my God. I, I look back on it and I think, Jesus Christ, like, wow, the glow up is so real when I look back at that old script. And, you know, I had to learn, I had to learn a lot of things over after that incident. Like I had to learn to interact with people again after isolating myself like you know there were period there were periods where i wouldn't leave like for months like leave my house for like months it was bad i had people oh, no. bringing my i had people bringing me food like you know doordash all that was like on my like it was it was it was really bad real hikiko mori lifestyle it oh. really was and you know that's why oh my god not to digress but that's why i don't know are, are you familiar with persona 5 I unfortunately haven't played it yet. Oh my god, okay, I won't spoil it too much, but there is a character, um, when I love, I love this game, like, I love Persona 5 with the same passion that I love Pokemon and Inuyasha and just, like, anime manga in general, but, um, they have a character, uh, who is a real Hikomori, you know, and she was who I related to, and I found out about her character, I want to say maybe three years before I, the game was actually released in America, where people, you know, do the wikis and, um, you know, I'm just like, this is crazy because, you know, her situation is like, it's, 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 how do I explain this? Oh my God. It's subject matter in a video game that I had never seen explored before, like heavy mm -hmm. subject matter. So when they got to the Hikamori character, you know, they didn't, they played it up for laughs, but you know, they also showed, you know, why she was the way she was. They broke down the psychology. I, I love psychology. I'm so sorry. They broke down the mind, you know, <laughs> how her mind works. And, you know, what made it, and then they showed her slowly integrating back into society. And I feel like that was another large part of, like, that game, like, really, I feel like was one of the saving graces that kind of helped me. Um, so once I got with Noir, you know, it, like I said, just getting with Noir has been, like, a complete 
and total like shift for me. You know, it's, it's, it's been really good for me. I really will say like noir saved my life and I have a lot of opportunities that I would not have the opportunity to pursue. And given that we're an indie company, once I'm in a place to where, you know, I can bring new people into the industry. I can do that now. Like, and, and that's crazy. Cause sometimes I, sometimes like I underestimate myself like very greatly. Like it's so bad. I, I, I know I need to get out of that habit, but it's crazy to consider where I've been and where I am now and what I have. And sometimes it's just like mind blowing, but eventually I want to get to that point where I can bring in indie people you know new people who want to either do voice acting or who want to do like you know analyzing videos and studying characters and you know um making comics writing comics and everything like that and that's eventually what i want to use my position at nor caesar to do in order to you know just bring more black and poc people into the spotlight and if i have that power then i feel like i will have been successful in what it is that i do now yeah that's so awesome that was all amazing. I mean, you hit a lot of points of questions that I wanted to ask. And yeah, thank you. Like, I think your experience are so not alone. Because when I was talking with Eunice and Naja in our uh, Black Diversity conversation, they brought up similar points about their experiences being Black women growing up being into anime and how alone they felt when they were younger and then how great it was to see, you know, other black women like them and then create platforms and then hear from other people that, Hey, we're, I'm so happy to see someone spotlighting. Hey, black women, black non-binary, non-male fans. We love anime. We love Atome games too. Like, thank you for being like that representation showing us that, Hey, we can be proud, visible. And there's so many of us. And I think it's so awesome. And yeah, I mean, that also speaks to a conversation about like uh, gatekeeping that we definitely see in the community, you know, especially towards women and black women in particular. And then you touched upon like the discrimination uh, fans get, especially, you know, you, you see the cosplay community and there's just so much uh, vitriol trolling at a lot of great black cosplayers just because, you know, people are just racist and it's awful. Yeah, I've been wanting to get back into cosplay. Like, I am slowly tiptoeing back into it. But sometimes I just get so discouraged when I'm just like, uh. But at the same time, like, I want to, I'm like, fuck you. I want to have my fun. Like, fuck you. Let me enjoy myself. So I'm slowly getting back into the cosplay community. But there is absolutely, yeah. It can be, it can be very hard just, like, trying to enjoy things. Like, I can't forget. I cannot remember who said it, but it can be very hard to enjoy things when you're black. Like, because, you know, either you're just not allowed to, and it's mainly, it's mainly that, you know, you're just not allowed to, it's not appropriate, you know, like, or it questions, you know, what people, their perceptions of what they believe a black person is. And I believe it was best said when they said black people are not a monolith, which is why I love, you know, girls like uh, Eunice, and um, you're talking about other, like, black girl nerds, you know, like, black girl nerds, and, um... What else? Uh, of course, Black Girls Anime and just other Black content creators. I'm so bad at listing people off. Like, I always think to myself, this is who I'm going to mention during this interview. And then, like, I need to keep a list. I just need to keep a list next to me. But, like, it is important, you know, that we have this visibility. And what I love about the, uh, especially some of the Black women in the anime community is that, you know, it's very, like, not even tight-knit in the sense that it's cliquish. It's tight-knit in the sense that if they see somebody clowning and being racist and stupid on another Black girl's cosplay post, everybody rushes in 
to defend that black girl, you know, or to defend that black nerd or black cosplayer. And that's what I love about the community. Like, there is definitely a sense of community. Like, nobody, nobody allows for that shit no more. Like, you know, and I think that that's exactly, you know, what it needs to be. Like, not allowing, like, you know, disgusting behavior like that to really make being, you know, black and nerdy and being POC and nerdy, like, you know, just inclusive so we can all have fun like stop making it so damn difficult for everyone. yeah yeah that solidarity is wonderful like fans coming to protect one another support one another amplify each other like i think that is one encouraging thing about social media is that people can find each other and they can come to defense and show that hey i'm here with you i'm your friend you know you're doing awesome work I want to support you. Yeah, exactly. I, I love it, honestly. Like, it has its negative side, but for the most part, like, I really am happy we have social media because it's nice to be able to connect like that, especially during this time when connecting isn't really, like, a possible thing at this moment. You know, being able to see our friends and, you know, now all of our daily interactions and stuff and seeing everybody daily is now kind of dwindled down. So I really feel like that's important. This solidarity matters, especially during this time, so. Mm-hmm. I think it's good to, you know, engender sense of community. I mean, especially in a time where we're kind of like isolated, you know, it's nice to know, hey, there's a friend here to talk to online, like people who have my back and stuff. So that's, that's really wonderful. But yeah, I mean, you were also talking about like, in larger like fandom spaces, like people not you know, making spaces for black and people of color creators. And I want to specifically talk about like at the convention scene, because you did a another great video kind of, you know, after AX did, you know, their tweet, like saying, hey, we support Black Lives Matter and stuff. And then you described your experience, you know, a few years ago, where you had a panel for uh, Exogenesis and you know, describe your experience of how you were mistreated by, like, AXF. And so, I mean, I was just wanting to go back into more of your thoughts about, like, how the con scene, how, like, these professional spaces really need to do better in amplifying Black creators of talent, voice actors, vendors, and fans in general. Um, I would say probably my biggest regret about that video is that I wasn't able to get it up closer to X. That was one of the main things that I did want to say. If I was ever asked about that video, say I had my wisdom teeth pulled out, like, the day, I want to say, like, maybe either after, it was either after they'd made, it was either before they had made that, it was, it was sometime that was time-wise time very inconvenient, because my face was all screwed up, so I wish I could have gotten that video out a lot sooner, but, um, I feel like that it is important, and I made that video because, you know, it's frustrating to want to invest so much of your own personal money in companies that, you know, say that they support you when it's hip, when it's, you know, a trend, you know, because that's unfortunately what you see um, whenever there is like some kind of tragedy within the black community on a national, I mean, like every tragedy is a tragedy, but some tragedies get more national attention than others. And those are what I'm talking about. And you'll notice there'll be an uptick in, you know, support for black people, but then it'll dwindle down. Like, it, you know, like it really never even happened. But like at the same time, like some of the, some of the revisual effects will last and that's a good thing. But for the most part, I feel like if conventions really want to, make people feel more inclusive like please like have more like black 
have more black, especially voice actors. I'm specifically centering voice actors, like, because I love my voice actors. I love all my voice actors. <laughs> but I do want to see more black voice actors out there, particularly because I'm trying to get into it, and other people need to see that, you know, it's it's possible to be out there. But I feel like, like going back to saying that black people aren't a monolith, more conventions need more diversity and representation in ways that go, you know, okay, we're black, but guess, did you know this about me? Did you know that I also make incredible weapons? Did you know that I'm an incredible cosplayer, you know? Did you know that, you know, hey, I do these videos, you know, psychologically analyzing, you know, anime, like maybe that could be for a panel, that sort of thing like that. Like, I want to see like more black people outside of, you know, conventions that have this really bad habit of placing black people only on their diversity panels. I thought I muted myself yeah. so far. So sorry. Um, only like on diversity panels. I'm like, come on, we need more than that. You know, like I can, like I said, at any given convention, I can go to three or four different panels on cosplay making and like most of them will be white with one black person like on that panel because <laughs> we don't want to appear racist. So I feel like with more conventions, like and not only that, like I really want to see like more black vendors because there are it blows my mind, especially being in the industry, how many talented <laughs> people are being overlooked at these conventions. Like it's mind blowing. Like there are just so many incredible people who are out there who have literally carved like their way, like fought through like so much just to get their business where it is. And these people in the nerd community are not being spotlighted. There are so many talented individual individuals out there. And I know that most conventions work on a, okay, well, if you buy this space, you know, this is what you get. But unfortunately, also in a lot of conventions, you know, most of the black people are shoved in the back. And I'm like, listen, I know what some of these people make. They shouldn't be crammed (laughs) back here. I literally know what they make. So why are you like, they should literally be up there next to, I don't know, pick a favorite, like pick a gigantic anime name brand something like literally they make more than some of these people who get like center stage with mediocre product and it blows my (laughs) mind like and i really hate to sound snappy about that but it's true and i'm just like okay listen like if you guys don't want to appear racist and unfortunately it it needs to go beyond well we want to prove we're not racist no you no, actually not be racist like some people don't realize there is a fine distinction so with conventions you know like i said put more black people on your board of directors on your organizing staff um <laughs> like the i want to say that one convention that is doing this really well is BlurCon, and that's because of course they are a black on convention but you know <laughs> i love what BlurCon is doing and people were just like oh this isn't going to be good you know but the first year was lit like of course it's a first year convention so it's not going to be perfect but it was still good and then the next year i think we went it was like or it was the year after one of the two it was great it was a blast you know like well, no, yeah, the year, the year after that I went, it was really good. So I really like that BlurCon, you know, that Hilton and his committee took that initiative to make themselves, you know, like a space. Sometimes that's really what black people have to do. If you're not going to give us a space, we're going to like make one for ourselves. Whether you like it or not, you're not going to like it either way. So fuck off. Like, we're going to do us. <laughs> so and I really think that's what I really think that's why it's important for, you know, black and pe- people of color to just really really be seen at these events, you know, because, I mean, you see some of the most talented people at these events, whether they are vendors, whether they are, you know, in the masquerade, whether they are, you know, no matter what they are doing, like, there are some incredible people here who really, really need the spotlight, and I think that it would help, and I get it, these conventions need to make their money, but at the same exact time, like, it shouldn't cost you an arm and a leg, like, I feel like there could be, like, breaks, like, just for, like, 
all like vendors, especially like new vendors, I feel like if we make it, you know, accessible, like more affordable to like new vendors, like give them some kind of small discount or something or prorate it, you know, where they can pay it off like over the year, something to make it, you know, to make conventions more accessible for people. Cause like I said, I have gone, I've been going to conventions for years and I see a lot of the same people behind a lot of the same booths every mm-hmm. year. And, you know, I see a lot of the same people winning the same cosplay contest. And, you know, it's just, it's frustrating. So, you know, to my, to the conventions, like, we love you. We don't mind at all giving you our money. Like, as a matter of fact, for conventions, like, most, for a lot of us, conventions are the one time of year we get to see our friends. To where we get to, you know, like, literally friends that we only interact with online. We get to see those people and love all over them and yeah. hug them and, like, cosplay with them, you know, <laughs> finally connect with them. And, of course, now that that's not possible, well, you know, I mean, outside of, like, you know, it being virtual, you know, mm-hmm. we want to give you our money. Like, there is a lot of money to be taken from Black and POC people. Like, why don't you want our money? Like, we want to give you our money, but we also want to know that, you know, you give a damn about us past when it's trendy. You know, so I feel like there's just so much that I can do. And I feel like if I had put out the video when I did, um, when I put out the video when they had made that statement, because I mean, I put it up like maybe almost three months after they had made that statement, so it wasn't really all that relevant. But, like, I still wanted to kind of get it out there. Um, I'm definitely going to be doing a follow-up video probably as we get closer to, you know, the conventions opening back up and everything and becoming mm-hmm. more publicly accessible. But I'd love to do a follow-up video to that, you know, kind of just touch upon some of the points that I made in that video. Yeah, because those are important points. And I think that conventions really do need to look at, like, how they are treating black guests and vendors and, like, do more to amplify them and, like, say, hey, like, these these people are doing great work. We want to spotlight them outside of, like, just relegating in this corner or in this, like, oh, here is a diversity panel and stuff like that. So, because there are so many amazing people doing great work. Like, Mara Caesar and then actors like, you know, Robinson, like, just amazing people. And the people want to see and the people want to support. And they should be given the space for fans to be able to do that and support that. So I think that's very important. And, you know, we've seen, like, even, like, progressive, supposedly, conventions, like, come under criticism recently, like TCAF. Like, it came out that, you know, a lot of people of color staff at TCAF, you know, were not being listened to, not being treated, their concerns and their calls for diversity at the convention were not really being addressed. And so now TCAF is going through an overhaul and they're put out like a, you know, Google form to like for people to submit their experiences and then also put in calls for like how they can change. So... You know, I'm hoping that more effort is being made and so that year round, you know, we are we will be seeing like better representation and the actual diversity of the anime fan community is represented. But to speak also about Noir Caesar and, you know, the work you guys are doing, I mean, you guys have are creating like 14 different comics like that are that's hosted on your website and 15, including Hanako Toba. And I think that's all awesome because they're all so very different and really cool. In addition to the comics, you're making animation like the Degenerates trailer. 
Like that was so cool. I'm like, glad the you liked that it. Like, it's amazing. That, if I'm not mistaken, like that was actually just the trailer for the manga, but I think yeah, that's yeah. also one of the properties that we could that we're gonna be playing with. Like Nor is going through a major transformation right now. Like, and it's all good. Like we are currently doing like some incredible things right now. And I I wish I could say more about them, but they're gonna be incredible. Like that's when they happen. Like I'm just I'm imploding. I I it causes me pain to not be able to talk about this when I do interviews but like i want i eventually like we'll be we're gonna surprise everyone and we're really trying to revolutionize like how we're we're really trying to revolutionize how people connect particularly how people will connect with artists with um you know content creators with voiceovers with uh influencers like artists writers screen toners like you name it like everyone and anyone who has this talent like we are trying to revolutionize that how these people connect. So I am really looking forward to that. And yeah, as far as our titles, you know, we're uh, we're taking a small break while we work on this new thing because we're just like, okay, all the new titles are going to be coming out like on our app, on our brand new app that'll mm-hmm. be coming out. So that's one big thing, you know, that's one big transition. So we're not only making an app, but we're trying to do something that that has never been done before. And, you know, so we're really trying to nail everything out. But Noir has made such great strides and I really do feel like, you know, for all the work that we've done, you know, and it really hasn't been easy, but like, you know, you've got incredible people working, you know, including, you know, our founder and owner, Johnny, Marcus, Corey, Will, uh, Vaughn, Will, Cosmos, like, you know, we've got a lot of good people, including some of you know, our artists, including Nick and uh, Mikkel, like so many great artists that we are working with, you know, just great people in general. So I really feel like Noir Caesar is the future. And I feel like what we can become and what we will become is exactly that gut feeling that drove me to be like, okay, you know what? Let me apply to work with these people. Like, you know, cause I feel like this is going to be amazing. Like this is incredible. And I definitely <laughs> wanted to be a part of this and not just be a part of it, but you know, also have a part in it, be, um, you know, integral in this movement that we're making. And it really feels, you know, good. I, <laughs> excuse me. I forget that sometimes. Like my partner is the, um, operations manager so the vice president of north caesar and you know he'll be like oh you know you forget like he's like you know he's like you know do you not realize what you're a part of like you're known you're out there i'm just kind of like am i though like am i really like i feel like i could be doing more like it's it's so bad like it's so bad but it's 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 also very it's also very humbling you know to be a part of like this movement and I am very, very excited for it. And, you know, especially with Hanukotoba, like, it's going to be Nora's first LGBTQ plus series. And it's going to be our first romance. It's going to be our first um, Jose and Shoujo series. There was a lot of, there's going to be, it's, it's going to be a long list, multiple lists of firsts. <laughs> Like for Nora Caesar, you know, I ticked off a lot of boxes with this project, but I am really proud of it. You know, I worked very hard on it. I mean, it was, it's been a labor of love. Like it's been such a labor of love with this project and I am very excited about it. Like, and I love being able to, you know, put that type of inclusivity out there, like so that people can see, you know, there are stories that deserve to be told and to be heard, you know, from so many different angles. So I'm really excited about everything that's about to happen with North Caesar. Like it's going to be incredible. Like I never imagined for a moment that I would get the opportunity to write manga. Like I always, I would, I always thought I, I, I always 
I always wanted to, like when I, especially when I was young, I thought I'm going to work for Tokyo pop or Viz one day. I'm going to write comics for them. And then, you know, I was just like, no, I'm never going to be able to do that. Like I'm black. They don't have black manga writers, blah, 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 blah. That's not going to be for me. Yeah. Right. And you know, on top of that, like I can't draw a boo, you know, it's, it's not, it's not in the cards for me. It's just, you know, a childhood dream. And now it's actually happening because I was like, okay, instead of, telling me, you know, okay, stop looking at, you know, this as something that's stopping you and just look at it as, well, how can you get around this, you know, like in, you know, work with that to turn it into a positive. So I feel like that's mm-hmm. been the whole process with this comic, like from start to finish. And it has not been easy at all. Like at one point, like I canceled it, I gave up on it. And then I was just like, no, mm-hmm. this story is too important to me. Like it, it was just, it's just <laughs> driving me. It's like that, it's that, it's that invisible force inside all creators and artists, well, creators are artists, so all artists, I'm using that word collective, or, you know, um, collectively, but all artists have, like, this drive in them, it's just, like, you can't sit still, like, when you aren't nurturing it, like, it literally, like, makes you feel terrible, it messes with you, because you're not nurturing what it is that you have, and this need to create so i feel like i once once i was properly stimulated the way that i needed to be and in a good environment and in a good healthy environment like opportunities really just began to open up so i'm really excited to see what like north caesar becomes like and i am very very excited to see like what becomes of language of flowers because ideally i'd like it to become an anime an animated um series so that is the goal for language of flowers i just hope that it resonates well like it's it's not mainstream it's not what people you know are used to seeing so that is going to hurt and unfortunately that is another part you know that i believe is also kind of one of the other hurdles that not just me but nor caesar also has to get over any indie black company has to get over that hurdle you know has to or has to find a way to turn that into a positive because you know it can be very hard so i am very excited to continue to grow with this company um and very excited to grow as a creator and as a person as well so these last couple of years have been really transformative but especially for what we're going to be doing for the black and poc communities i'm all for it and I, i'm really looking forward to it i'm so excited too like i'm so excited to hear that you guys are making an app and i'm also really excited about hanako toba i mean i think that the fact that it is such a unique story is like so valuable because it's a story that isn't like really being told like one of the things that i'm really excited about it is that you have a trans male like lead as like the love interest and i am really really excited because that is just not something you see very often especially like in a shoujo style manga i wanted to kind of ask you like kind of some of your inspirations for doing that and then some of the like work you put into like research and write that perspective um absolutely like ask me anything about hanako toba like please like i could talk about this for days because like it just it feels good to be able to talk about it like it really does um so one of my main influences like growing up i love shoujo but at the same time like shoujo is mad toxic like it's so problematic (laughs) it's so problematic oh jesus it is so problematic like and even though i I, even though you know i consumed it like and i feel like anybody who loves shoujo you know either grew up surrounded by nothing but love or they grew up you know in a not so happy home environment like myself and so i gravitated towards those love stories like i really did like you know like how people like like joke like oh that's your uh you know older people like the soap operas and you know my mother likes to watch her soaps like no shoujo are my soaps like shoujo is shoujo and jose genres are soap opera is all hell and it makes no sense but i love it because i love you know 
I loved the concept of just this incredible romantic love that I saw, but at the same exact time, a lot of that love was really problematic and came mm-hmm. with the whole bastard boyfriend trope, which, you know, I'm just like, damn, can I get a guy? Like, I want to see a protagonist like Gomez Adam, who's Gomez Adams, who just <laughs> loves his wife. Like, like, and that's, that's what kills me. Like, in creating Asahi, I wanted to stray away from the bastard boyfriend like guy who's just a dick to you know his romantic interests because i don't know the wind change directions like i'm so tired of that trope because it normalizes that behavior and you know you would be surprised how much of that especially if you just absorb it how much of that can be internalized and i internalized a lot of the toxic behavior that you'll find in shoujo and you know even mainstream like romance and stuff like that i internalized a lot of that and when i got older it actually showed itself in relationships and how I would let my partners treat me or, you know, Mm -hmm. how I would react to certain situations. And it's crazy, but it really did influence, you know, a lot of the red flags that I would ignore from a lot of my partners. Like, and it's really crazy. So with making Asahi, um, originally, like when I was first writing this, I was like, you know what, I'm going to make just, you know, it's going to be, you know, your typical boy-girl love story. And I'm like, nah, fuck that. There's like a million like boy-girl love stories. Like, what the fuck? I want a queer love story. I want I want a queer love story that I, as a queer black person, can feel good about. You know, something that's not tragic and something that doesn't fetishize Asahi because he's trans. You know, that's why I put it out there from the beginning that Asahi is trans. It's not going to be no big reveal. It's not going to be, you know, a fetishizing of, you know, wow, look at this exotic trans person. Oh, my God. Like, you know, because me being non-binary, I fall under the umbrella of being transgender. And so I don't want that weird, creepy fascination with you know, transgender genitalia, that straight people are very, <laughs> have like this weird fashion. It's weird. It's real weird. It's real weird. But, you know, with Asahi, you know, I wanted to, with Asahi's character, it was important to me that he was genuine. And so I reached out to one of my trans, uh, one of my friends who is a trans man. And I, you know, I, I just, on Facebook, hit him up. Listen, um, I want to write a trans male character, but I myself am not a trans man. I would love to, you know, pay you for your time, you know, to tell me, you know, pay you for the emotional labor of, you know, helping me to make, you know, give me reference for a relatable character. What would make a good relatable character? You know, what would, you know, not make a good relatable character? You know, what are some themes, you know, and it would be on just not only asking for the experiences of, you know, my trans male friend, you know, paying them for their time to tell me, you know, what their experiences would like, you know, and how it's so very different from how the media tends to, you know, perceive it. Like, you know, and just when you think that the media's got a perfect trans representation down, they blow it. They blow it by some kind of weird (laughs) cisgender notion of how, you know, what being trans is like. And unfortunately, that is not just with being trans, but, you know, with any kind of medium, people have a bad habit. And this is kind of what I'm going to say for, like, any writers, any prospective writers, Please, if you do not know what you are writing, I'll say, I'll say, write what you know. Don't be afraid to grow, but genuinely write what you know. If you are not a black woman, don't try and write, you know, from, you know, don't try and write a story about a black woman from your notion of what you think a black woman is, because it could be very wrong. Likewise, and possibly, probably is. And, you know, likewise with, you know, a trans character. So with, with that in mind, with creating Asahi, I wanted to, put together a character who was 
Gomez levels of I'm very much in love and I respect my wife, you know, and she is everything to me, you know, and they are my partner, you know, not my, not just my wife or, you know, my spouse, but my equal. We stand on equal grounds, you know, but that, but at the same exact time, like Gomez also had his own interests, you know, Gomez was his own person. And that's another thing, you know, I think the thing that, you know, as much as I love love stories, unfortunately, like, I think that our society is obsessed with the notion of being in love and Mm -hmm. the notion of this perfect romance and love at first sight and, you know, (laughs) all of these crazy things, you know, and of course that'll spill over. We all want to find the one, but you know what? Like, guess what? Like, I have no problem admitting that I'm Polly. I have multiple soulmates. Like, you know, because it's it's crazy Mm -hmm. to expect you know, and I mean, like, it's it's not crazy. Let me, let me, oh, let me throw that word out completely. Another word I'm trying to slowly eke out of my vocabulary. But I think that it's unrealistic to expect society to um, completely write off polyamory. Because I love my monogamous relationships. Like, and I, you know, and there are monogamous poly relationships. Like, you know, which is my personal preference. Because you can be, you know, monogamous and poly. You can be monogamous in a poly relationship. Like, it's it's not hard. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, but unfortunately, like many things. Like, and that's another thing that I'm covering in Language of Flowers. Like, I am wanting to explore so many different aspects and facets that don't get, you know, a realistic touch because either the person that is writing the content matter has no experience with it or they are writing from preconceived notions that are often very, very, very misinformed. And, you know, with Hanako Toba and with just in going back to just shoujo in general, there's a lot of toxic things in shoujo. Um, <laughs> a lot of toxic things that I don't like, you know, namely the namely the perception of sex you know because if i go back and i read like Mm -hmm. i don't know five or six shoujo manga (laughs) the sex is so not consensual (laughs) it's so non-consensual like so much sex is non-consensual in shoujo like it's either forced or it's coercion or it's you know Mm -hmm. just right up just downright bastardry but you know like I, that's another thing that I really wanted to change because, you know, again, I love Shoujo, but I, and I love Jose. Like, another reason that I love Jose is because, you know, it's supposed to be more mature. Um, you know, it's geared towards women, um, ages 18 and up. So, so, you know, it's more realistic than Card Captor Sakura or Sailor Moon, you know, in mm-hmm. its portrayal of realistic relationships. And so when creating not just, you know, so I, I, I can't get off of Asahi because I'm really excited about his character. I wanted to put in a lot of work, you know, particularly, you know, talking to a lot of my friends. One of my friends just had top surgery. And, you know, I asked them if they wouldn't mind, you know, sending me like pictures of like their their healing, if they wouldn't mind me like sharing that with, you know, and it was good reference. And I promise you, like, if you want to be a good writer, like and you if, if you are genuinely close to these people, don't just slide up into somebody's inbox and be like, hey, can I see, you know, your scars from your, you know, double mastectomy or top surgery, you know, cause for a story. No, that's just weird and gross. Like, that's weird. Like, don't do that. But like, if you really want to become a good writer like please do your research um you were asking me about um other influences as far as like what is influence Hanako yeah, yeah um one of my big anime influences is a beautiful anime that is called um Utakoi. um it's on mm-hmm. Crunchyroll and it is an anime that is so slept on that is that has a format I've never seen before. And it's pretty much about um it, it takes place like in the old Japan, Heian era, and it's it's based on poetry. It's based on love poetry. So every episode is based on a real life love poem comprised by one of Japan's great poets. 
And it's incredible how well they fit these situations and these characters to it. And that's another reason why I love Jose, because Jose doesn't always have a happy ending. And that's what makes it real. You know, that's what I think adds it to adds this layer of realism to Jose that you just don't get with Shoujo. But it was real because, you know, not all the characters and I mean, it's episodic um, and an anthology. So it's different, you know, different characters. Um, almost every episode, some of them cross over, but you're expecting because it's about love songs that these are going to be all happy episodes and they all are with the person they want to be with, but no, like I cry almost every episode. <laughs> like there's a point in the series where I just, I cry literally every episode because it's just like, damn, that is so sad. And even though I'm a huge fan, like I'm going to just straight up spoiler alert, Hanagotoba is going to have a happy ending. Um, and that's another thing that I wanted to kind of shift away from with Shoujo and, you know, Jose, like, I feel like, especially given that my character is a black woman, I feel like black women do not get their happy endings, or if they get their happy endings, they have to sacrifice either their love interest or just something to where, you know, they had to give up something major that, you know, say a non-black character or black woman wouldn't have to give up. And I noticed mm-hmm. that that's a huge trait in, like, a lot of the media that I see that black women usually have to give up their love interest because, you know, oh, strong black woman, which is such a toxic trope. And I hate that trope so much. I hate the strong black woman trope. It's so toxic. So mm-hmm. when doing this, I, that was another inspiration for it. Um, In creating my character of Amara, you know, you notice you see a lot of long and beautiful flowing hair. Like, what can I do to make my lead protagonist, my lead black woman protagonist, my black non-male protagonist, you know, almost an antithesis of shoujo. Well, I gave her short hair like I have because that's, you know, I don't see a lot of super short-haired, you know, girls in anime and manga. Like, I don't see that a lot. Not where they're the lead. I notice, you know, I see a lot of anime and even Jose manga does this quite a bit where their protagonist will be like 13, 14, 15, like teenagers, teenage girls. And I'm like, no, my protagonist is a grown-ass woman. She has grown-ass woman problems. As far as, like, creating a character and, you know, creating, um this comic, what I really wanted to do was shy away from a lot of the toxic tropes that you see in shoujo and shoze and even mainstream romance. So, um, uh, regarding, you know, the whole topic of a lot of the sex that I see being, you know, non-consensual, the difference in this is the tagline. And I just came up with a tagline for the series, um, because they, we needed it for the app, but pretty much the tagline, uh, for Hanukkah starts out with, um, I don't care if we sleep together, just don't let it interfere with our work. <laughs> um, and nor and you know that's something else that I really wanted to see was a sexually empowered woman. I love 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 Otome games so very much. Um, I I love Otome games like that's my jam right there. Um, and you know even in the mediums of anime manga and you know sometimes like of course common oftentimes common media, you see the woman trying to balance this. I think it was uh, the Madonna whore complex. So either she has to be immaculate and, you know, sex is, you know, like the perfect ideal Christian wife in the mind of a cishet white man. Like that is like, you know, that's, that's what a woman expected to be. And then, you know, you have the harlot, you know, she's lustful, she's sexual, you know, she's the whole nine yards, like nothing else applies to her. And, you know, when with, with playing with sexuality with a black woman character, and this is my writers as well, um, Try your best to familiarize yourself with the stereotypes that, you know, you often hear about black women because, you know, there is a term and it's called sapphire. So that's the Mm. lustful, sexual black woman, you know, and it's hard to find a balance because I'm like, I want to write a sexually liberated character, you know, and it's 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 trying to find that balance to where, okay, 
let's make Amara to the, you know, because I mean, like, right off the, like, well, I'm not gonna, I don't want to spoil that. Like, let me not say that because it's supposed to be like one of those, oh, wow, this is a different moment. But, um, you know, Amara is someone who is sexually liberated. You know, she has, <laughs> she has multiple partners. You know, she doesn't go into this thinking that Asahi, you know, is her one true love. Like, you know, it's, it's one of the boundaries that she sets. You know, it's one of the boundaries that Amara sets for their working together. It's one of the, um, yeah, it's just that it's one of the boundaries, you know, like, I don't care if we're working together, but, you know, it's like, in the event that, you know, we aren't able to keep our, you know, relationship strictly professional, just don't let it interfere with our work. So already, you know, I'm kind of trying to set the precedent for Amara, who is immediately recognized as a woman who is, you know, as a black woman who is firmly, you know, in touch with her sexuality, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and that was something else that, you know, I really wanted to play with. So, I mean, all the tropes and the genres that you see in, shoujo and jose and stuff like that like i i want to play with them in a way where they're almost subvert it, it subverts expectations like you think it's going to be that but then it's not that and at the same exact time um we've all seen like the anime who starts out you know with that happy theme song and it looks so fun and cute and then like the actual animator series itself just derails into something dark and horrible of like higurashi <laughs> levels you know like that's that's kind of the precedence i'm trying to set for my series you know because everybody thinks of shoujo as oh sailor moon and all these other cute adorable characters and no romance issues and all OMG happy time fun time and then like I'm like okay yeah but like you know this is what I'm going to be doing and that's kind of you know what I want people to go into it like you know it's like that anime with the awesome theme song that you think is harmless (laughs) and then the content itself is something completely different and you're like well then so and I think that's something else that I'm really looking forward to with Hanako Toma um and I feel like I have a lot of freedom to play around with it and I'm glad and I'm, I'm, I'm actually very glad that it took me so long and that, you know, the first attempt failed because it would have been a completely different story. And I don't think it would have been as good and as fleshed out as the finished product is today. But um, as far mm-hmm. as influences, I would say those are probably my main influences. Um, The anime behind it, definitely uh, Utakoi, um, which literally means love poem. Um, I wanted the realness of the shoujo anime Nana because uh, I yeah. love Ayazawa. I love yeah. Ayazawa. Oh, God. <laughs> oh god i love ayazawa so much and it will break my heart that nana is unfinished like nana is an unfinished masterpiece i, I have theories for days like i literally I don't, I don't i don't mean that like like just being dramatic i mean i literally wrote an article for buzzfeed with all these different theories as to how it's gonna end and you know oh god it was crazy and i, I probably i'm gonna have to follow up on that because like i need answers and i i need that series like it changed my life so that type of realism you know where there's sex and there's you know romance and there's drama and there's and especially given that the Hanukkah Toba is set during a World War II time span um overall like the overall takeaway from the language of flowers is a black girl who finds her happy ending it may mm. not conspire to what you think her happy ending should be but it's her happy ending nonetheless, and it makes her what, you know, it, that's what makes her happy, and it's what she ultimately wants. You know, you see, I wanted to convey different people's um, definition of happiness and love mm-hmm. and romance and relationship, you know, outside of what we know when we genuinely hear, you know, when we hear those words. So I'm really looking forward to, like, just seeing this really come to fruition. And, you know, given that it's an erotica, it's going to, you know, have its very romantic moments. But, you know, the the, the sex is going to be consensual. If you're looking for that sort of, you know, non-consensual, short, short, short shoujo feel, 
that's not going to be anywhere present. Like they're both going to have lines of consent. And it was, it makes me so sad when, okay, there's this manga that I was reading. <laughs> I, and I, and I have to say this because the comments speak for themselves and it makes me so sad, but like <laughs> this manga that I was reading, it's like a one shot and it's this cute, like adult mature erotica Jose. And it's this young Korean boy or not. Well, not Korean boy. He's a man. Damn. Let me not even, he is a grown ass Korean man and he's in Japan, but he doesn't speak Japanese too well. So, you know, the protagonist is this Japanese woman, you know, and they, you know, they don't, they don't speak. They use like Google Translate and whatever, like on their phones to kind of communicate. And he starts off by oh. showing her around and then eventually, you know, they have sex and, you know, but then at one point, like she, he does something, you know, she, she, she has kind of like this erotic reaction and he thinks it's a no. And so he physically backs off and like makes like this X, like, no, no good. And then she's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. She, you know, she can, she, she conveys to him that it's fine. And in the comments, one of the comments, one of the top like comments was, wow, consent is beautiful. And I'm just like, damn, <laughs> is consent yeah. that much a novelty? <laughs> is it like in this field? Like, let's fix that. That's, that's, that's okay. Like, all right. Like, oh my God. Like, I could. It's just, oh god, I gotta do a, I gotta do a video on that. Like I was during these interviews, I was get ideas for videos. I feel like I gotta do a video on that in the future. But like that's something that I really wanted to like change, you know, with Hanukkotoba and make it LGBTQIA centric. Like specifically, that was going to be it. Like I when I went into this thinking, you know, like I said, there's just so many things that I want to convey with this including polyamorous polyamorous relationships. You know, you've got a character who's got, yes, even in, you know, because, well, the another big reason that I wanted to set this so far back in the past is to show specifically not only not only have trans people always existed, but, mm -hmm. you know, they also polyamory has always been a thing. You know, monogamous relationships, of course, have always been a thing. But, like, you know, these different aspects of your non-conventional relationship and romance and love and you know ideals have existed way before we got here so you know it, this is nothing new and that's something that i wanted to convey uh by making it set in that time period so there's so much like so much with how to oh my god but like i i ultimately want to tell a good story about you know this happy this black girl who gets her happy ending um and you know there's gonna be drama there's gonna be you know uh violence um, there's going to be a lot of heavy and mature themes to the point where, you know, I'm honest, I think, I think I'm going to stick a trigger warning on, I think that's probably only fair that I put a trigger warning on some of these chapters, but, um, I am really looking forward to seeing, you know, how people react to this and chapter two will hopefully be done by the time the app comes out. So not only will you get chapter one, but then you'll get chapter two. And then that's when you can really see the ball get rolling on this. But I am very excited to be able to have this opportunity to, really just write something new and different and something that I love and feel passionate about working on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that is so exciting to especially focus on, you know, consensual relationships and like consensual sexual relationships and a black women protagonist, like owning their sexuality is so awesome. And like, especially like, I think this exploration of sexuality and like having ownership of that and consent is really interesting. I read like the synopsis of the story in the YouTube trailer description and it's like Amara is going to be, you know, navigating this space where that is profiting off of non-consensual selling of sex. So 
I mean, I think that's like a really interesting thing to have, like, a, you know, this positive relationship at, in like this really kind of negative, dark world that the characters are exploring. Yeah, thank you very much. Like, I really wanted it to be, you know, kind of like, I didn't want people to feel uncomfortable, um, particularly uh, survivors of sexual abuse or, you know, any kind of sexual assault uh, as I myself am one. So I didn't want people to feel slightly uncomfortable and question themselves when reading like this material like that's the one thing that i did not want you know people to feel like oh my god like this is sort of like super non-consensual but you know you kind of you got you kind of get so you read so much of it you kind of get like almost numb to it so when it does happen it's just you know normalized as part of the plot like you know and explained away like some kind of way but like i really wanted to you know go into this where you know if you read a romance scene that i am writing you don't feel uncomfortable you know you see that there is consent in almost every single action that is going to be displayed like that you know that it's a mutual thing and you know there's no gray area in it and that it's very romantic cuz i'll be the first to admit i love erotica but i blush during like romance scenes in movies like i blush <laughs> and get so embarrassed like it's 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 so embarrassing i'm like oh my God, i can't look at the screen like especially passionate scenes where it's just like i don't know 300 is the one that i always think of cuz it makes me blush so much but like i i want to write that type of scene where it's just like oh my god like you're seeing sex in the form that I truly feel like it's meant to be in where it's enjoyable and it's sweet and you know you laugh and there are these awkward moments but it's the whole thing feels so natural and pure that it almost embarrasses you to look at it <laughs> you know like that is yeah. what I that's what I'm going for with that and that's really wonderful and yeah I'm excited about it I think the art looks really beautiful like yeah, and I love Amara's character design. Like, another aspect that I like is that, you know, she's rocking glasses. That's also yeah, a cool choice. Yeah, I, I had to give her glasses. Like, <laughs> I, I love it. Like, I love the fact I had to, I wanted her to have glasses, like, from the get-go. Not just ones that, you know, she wears occasionally, but no, like, she can't, like, see much for anything. And so I feel like that'll be kind of a nice, like, running gag. And it's just like, Amara's going to be like, people are be like, how do you do your job if you can barely see? And at one point, she's going to shoot something. And then, you know, they're gonna be like, how did you do that? And she was like, oh, that was just pure luck. Like, uh, did anybody, did anybody get injured? I'm so sorry. Like, like, so I'm looking forward to like a lot of different things with Amara. So I'm pretty, I'm very excited for her character. Like, I really am. And just saying, Funimation, if you're listening or Crunchyroll or Biz, like, pick up my anime. It's gonna be dope. I'm just saying. But shit's gonna change your life. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be so awesome. And I think that's uh, some thing that's is a really you know encouraging trend is that we're seeing like a lot of homegrown you know people of color creators make their own anime and tell yes. stories like spotlighting featuring black cast people of color characters i mean lashawn thomas is probably the biggest trailblazer yes. making so much awesome work like cannon busters he's developing uh, the yasuke series for netflix like and there's so much that's to look forward to, like Onyx Equinox and Nutter series that Crunchyroll is doing, like that'll have like all people color cast. Like I, I'm really excited. I think. Oh my god, I'm so hyped for that. Yeah, I mean, I think that it is a really crunchy trend. Like now, anime is becoming so international, and yeah. like people, like outside Japan, non-Japanese creators can come in and create and tell their own stories, inspired growing up loving, you know, anime. Yeah, I, I think it's very important. I think it's also very necessary as well. It's one of those perfect mediums where you've got like, where so many cultures can like genuinely like 
come together in that way to the point where like it's genuine. And what I love about it is like, I like it when the content is genuinely appreciation and not appropriation. Like in playing with it, like I feel like when, especially when writing Hanukotoba, I feel like there was kind of a fine line that I was treading here to the point where I'm just like, okay, how do I make this not like some kind of weird fetishization of Japan and this trauma and, you know, just like doing like the whole white savior trope? Like, how do I avoid doing that with Hanukotoba? <laughs> I wanted to, in order to give it like it's really authentic, authenticity. Um, one thing that I did was, and I was, I'm really, I am, Yumi, I love you so much. If you're listening to this, I hope you're listening. Yumi, I love you so much. One thing that I really wanted was authenticity to it. And I feel like when there's that authenticity to it, like with Samurai Shampoo, obviously the people who worked on Samurai Shampoo, including Nujibis, rest in peace, like had a love of hip hop, you know, and black yeah. culture, you know, and even though they fucked up at times, like, you know, you can, <laughs> you can still say that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a widely accepted Stapable, where it's at good fusion of black culture and Japanese culture, you know, where it's okay, it's not a flawless masterpiece, it has its problems, but you know, you can see that the intentions were genuine and you could see the love for black music and everything like that intertwined with that. With Language of Flowers, I really wanted to do the same thing because a lot of these stories, when, when they take place in wartime Japan or sometime in the past, like they fall into the usual white savior trope and i'm just like amara's not trying to be a white savior she's literally here because you know the money brought her here like she's not like you know she's entirely <laughs> she's like 50 percent motiv motivated by money like you know she's trying to help people not like inspire them or you know like do like the whole like oh here's this group of down downtrodden people you know like the how do i explain this you know like the white coach with the downtrodden basketball team and the urban kids and mm -hmm. yeah that's the one thing that i'm just like and it, and it grosses me out so much that I am almost overly conscious to the point of obsessive with making sure that, you know, it doesn't fall into that. So I'm hoping that this story is a good fusion of that. And, you know, also in a way, just like, you know, Samurai Champloo's creators were able to express their genuine love of, you know, black culture. I can express my love, my genuine love, you know, for, um, you know, Japanese culture because it genuinely had an impact on my life. You know, like, I love reading about all the old lore and the legends and the stories and, you know, just seeing it. And I'll never forget it because there's actually one manga, um, it's called Me and the Devil Blues or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes! By Akira Hiramoto, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, my God, I feel like crying. Like, every time I bring it up, nobody knows what I'm talking about. Like, nobody knows what I'm talking about. So, like, that sort of fusion, you know, like, where they were able to take like these realistic events, like these atrocities, like slavery and this real life musician and this very real life, you know, old superstition of black lore. They sold his devil. You know, he sold his soul to the devil to get his amazing talent. Like, you know, like that, I feel like even though, you know, cause it is a product of its time. Like it's not flawless <laughs> like Samurai Champloo. It is definitely a product <laughs> of its time, but it's still more or less a really good example of that type of fusion where, you know, you can take, I'm going to try and take like these Japanese events, these historical events, and, you know, try and kind of write them from the perspective of one not being Japanese or having any kind of personal connection to these events, but trying to do that in a way that is not only respectful, but oh yeah. And Yumi, I'm so sorry. I get so sidetracked. Yumi, Yumi was sweet enough to let me like, um, and she's a good girlfriend of mine who lives in Japan. If I have a question about translation or stuff like that, she's usually who I go to. And I asked her, you know, if there was anybody she could put me in contact with regarding 
who lived during World War II specifically, and I knew that this was a very tall order, but, you know, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm overly thorough to the point of obsession. I'm like, do you know anybody, you know, who could still possibly be alive during, and my math is not good, so I couldn't even tell you if, like, math is, like, my one big, like, pothole, but, like, if anybody, if you knew anybody with an ancestor or something like that who was, like, a sex worker during World War II Japan, can you put me in touch with somebody like that? Like one of the women who possibly worked, you know, like in, you know, the brothel areas of this time. Like, can you possibly point me in the direction of someone who would know what it was like or can give me, you know, an, a somewhat accurate recollection of that, you know, context? And miraculously enough, she put me in contact with this amazing, amazing woman who was able to, you know, tell me all, and, you know, she's a, she, she's a historian, but she focuses mainly on women in Japanese history, you know, and like how they're treated and liberation rights and everything like that. Wow. And she goes into deep context about what the women of, you know, the red light district, uh, red light districts really endured. And as a former sex worker, that's another thing that I really, really wanted to touch upon in this story as well, because, you know, Amar is going to Japan to help liberate these women who are working, you know, who, who want freedom. You know, mm -hmm. like I had to be real careful with how I phrased that because in saying, you know, well, she wants to liberate the women, you know, who are trapped within the walls. You know, that that makes it seem like sex work, you know, that that perpetuates that sex work that that perpetuates the stereotype. And it's very harmful that everyone who was in sex work, you know, was either trafficked into it, which I also have experienced. Like I was trafficked like and I didn't, need, oh, I didn't even know that's the crazy part. So like, you know, with sex trafficking, you know, they think that's they think of all the negative reasons of why, you know, they're not trying to legalize and decriminalize sex work but like then you get the you know you get this almost romanticized notion especially in japan where you know the women the prostitutes the courtesans were given these huge processions where they would march down the street in these gorgeous gowns and you know you really look beneath the beauty and the makeup and you see that there that that world was truly ugly and heinous yes 100 percent. like and you know the world of sex work is truly ugly and heinous like i've seen like a good part of, i've seen the worst of it you know and in integrating sex work and you know the exploration of it, i didn't just want it to be seen as suffering as such you know i switched it from you know amara's going there to liberate women to she's going there to liberate the sex you know the the sex slaves like there's a difference i'm gonna make sure that people know there's a difference between a sex worker and a sex slave like mm -hmm. because some people don't get that distinction and you know she's going there to help the women who think of themselves you know who are truly slaves who don't want it and Meanwhile, you know, you're also going to have the characters who genuinely went into it willingly because surprise, surprise, there were women who went into sex work willingly. Like you have right. records of no times were hard. No, this woman just really liked sex a lot. <laughs> and this was the best way for her to get it and make money. You, you know, the idea of women profiting willingly, consensually off their own bodies is so foreign to people, you know, and it's scary. So I also wanted to you know, make sure that sex work was seen in a positive light, but that it's not seen with that westernized, mysterious view that we put on, you know, the sex workers of Japan, you know, the, the geisha, yeah. well, not the geisha, because geisha were not sex workers, but, you know, genuinely, you know, um, the prostitutes and the courtesans who <laughs> are just seen as these beautiful creatures, these mysterious creatures, when, no, a lot of them were sex slaves, you know, and I don't want to stray away from that at all so you know like i said if, if you don't know what you're going to be if you don't know much about what you want to write about but you're passionate about it make sure you do a lot of your research about it for all my like writers and creators out there because you know there's a lot of things that i'm balancing with this 
because I'm trying to make it both, um, you know, well written as well as, you know, something that is also relatable and believable, you know, something that people can connect with and truly see, but also while exploring topics that, you know, people aren't too familiarized with. So, you know, I'm, oh God, I'm so excited. I wish I could write the (laughs) chapters just faster, but unfortunately creativity does not work like that. But like, I have it all in my head. I'm just so excited to get it on paper and see paper, you know, see script turn to actual comics. So with Hanukotoba, like I am really like banking on so much with the series, but I am very proud of it nonetheless. And I hope you guys enjoy it too. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to it. Just hearing your passion for the story, the ideas, and the effort, the work you've put in into doing the research to tell the story, and your own experience that you're bringing into it. Like, I'm really excited because it sounds like it's it's really incredible. It comes from a like really personal, passionate place. And I think that also definitely ties into the conversation like we have when we observe like representation in media is that a lot of times it feels like people are not doing the work when they're writing, you know, experiences outside their own. I mean, this is especially true of representation of black characters, people of color characters. It's oftentimes you recognize that the creator is basing like their perception of marginalized people off of like pop culture that is similarly misinformed. It's not based on authenticity. So I incredibly appreciate that you like sought out people who had lived experiences when writing Asahi, when researching the like climate of like the 60s in terms of the red light district courtesans and stuff. So, I mean, that effort, I think, is going to tell such an authentic, truly amazing story. Thank you so much. I, I, I really am looking forward to it. Like, I, I just... I want it to be all worth it, you know, because this was a lot. And given the subject matter I'm writing about, a lot of it can be really overwhelming. Like, it's just like, wow, like, you know, because you're talking about war. So it can be exhausting. But at the same exact time, it's a labor of love. Like, I looked I looked at the first chapter. I looked at the finished chapter of The Language of Flowers, like, with all of the feeling that, like, I feel like a parent would have for their, like, just looking at a new baby. You know, like, I feel like that feeling isn't just limited to parents it's like finally that feeling of I created this I did this you know I made this and that sense of accomplishment you know and you know you want that accomplishment to change the world in some way and have a profound impact and I feel like that this is what is going to you know really especially open up so many doors for ideally like you know ideally just open up so many doors you know as far as black creators POC creators, you know, representation and media, like all of it. Like, I want to kick open so many doors with this and I want to just charge in screaming. So this is it. Like, I'm hoping for the best with this. Awesome. Yeah, I think you're doing great work. I'm so looking forward to Hanakotoba and then continue to look forward to all the great work Noir Caesar does and the videos you're making on your YouTube channel. And I guess there's one thing that we didn't touch on, but, you know, you're also interested in like voice acting, career and voiceover work. So, like, I'm also interested in seeing you pursue that in the future, too. Thank you so. so much. I am so excited. Like, I start acting classes August 1st, so I am I am so, so very nervous. Like, I, I can't begin to express, like, how nervous I am. But the fact that I have, you know, a iconic voice actor, like, you know, mentoring me is just, you know, someone who's just literally willing to be like, you know, this is, if you need anything, you know, when you start class, you know, send me your scripts. Like, John Eric Bentley is just one of the sweetest people. Like, 
I can, I just, I, I have so much love for him, but like, you know, he's really being like a good, you know, like father figure mentor to me in this. And I mean, he's just, if it hadn't been for him, I probably wouldn't have pushed the button on registering for the classes. <laughs> I just made the decision that I signed up for classes. Like, I think I announced it on Instagram like two days ago. No, yesterday that I was going to be doing acting class and I was going to, you know, pursue this childhood dream of being a voice actor. Cause you know, I, I always had a complex about my voice. Uh, cause I, I believe it was that I got very sick at one point, um, and that I had a very light and high-pitched, thin, cutesy, like, you know, kind of moe-sounding voice, but then I got sick, and then I think also puberty, and then my voice just deepened out of, like, nowhere, and I was just like, oh my god, I can never become, like, that was it, like, I'm like, all my dreams of becoming the next Cree Summer are gone, they're dead, ah, like, you know, it was so bad. So, you know, eventually, like, you know, I just, and then on top of that, I can't sing to save my life. Like, oh my God, like, no, like, I cannot sing. Like, no, I can't sing to save anybody's life. <laughs> like, God, no, like, please never put me in a crazy situation like that where it's, you have to sing or we'll shoot someone you love. Like, you have to sing well on top of that and just be like, oh no, like, please don't put me in that position. Like, so I figured, you know, as I got older, you know, I, and honestly, the kind of tone of my voice was also another reason that I kind of opened myself up more to, you know, becoming non-binary, you know, like and kind of embracing that as well. Cause you know, I, my voice is kind of depending, depending on the time of day, um, it can either be deep or it can be kind of like up there, you know, light kind of how I'm talking now with effort. Um, but for the most part, like if I'm completely being completely flat, it just sounds like, you know, kind of just kind of, kind of low. So I was stressing out about that because I'm just like, I want to play like, you know, the characters in anime who have like these, you know, sweet voices and stuff. But, you know, I sound like I don't have that. So I was talking to John about it. And, you know, I was stressing, finding all these excuses not to go forward with it. But, you know, I'm like, OK, I said two years ago. No, yeah, I said no, I said three years ago in Anime Expo that I wanted to become a voice. No, it was two years ago that I wanted to become a voice actor. And I mean, like, that's when I vocalized it. It was one of those, you know, uh, secret dreams that, you know, like every person have that has, you know, they don't think it's ever possible. And that, you know, becoming a voice actor from a young age in video games and anime was my secret dream. But, you know, it was my also impossible dream. And I, you know, I was just like, you know what? I'm in this space now with North Seas where I'm doing these videos. And I could see myself genuinely becoming a voice actor. And I'm interviewing, and I'm interviewing all these other voice actors, like Chris Savage, who was one of my favorite people ever. Like, you know, and I get to speak with some of these people and learn. And I'm just like, this is it. This is it. If I needed any other sign, this is what I wanted to do. And to follow up on that childhood dream of also not only voice, you know, writing a manga, but voice acting as well. I'm going to take that. So, you know, I figured, you know what, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to buckle down. I know too many voice actors, you know, it's like I have too many resources. Another thing that drives Corey crazy. I have resources, but I'm terrified of using them. Like, <laughs> I'm so scared of using them. Um, like, but so... With that, you know, after talking to John, you know, he was like, you know what, if you need help, you know, with scripts, anything like that, let me know, you know, if you need, you know, if there's something you don't understand. And it's good to literally have an iconic voice actor who, you know, is not only voice iconic roles and has a credit, as multiple credits as a great actor, but, you know, is also a voice actor for one of the most iconic characters in nerd history. Like, yeah. just to have that support, oh my god, and they're black, like, oh my god, like, <laughs> I couldn't ask for more, like, this is incredible, so, you know, I figured now is the time for me to do, and like I said, 
the event that changed my life five years ago, if I may say, and I know I didn't want to bring anything down, but I, you know, when I, I hate when people talk about things, but they don't get like too specific. And it's just like, I want to know like what happened, like, <laughs> you know, just for the people that want to know, like it was my suicide attempt. And I promised myself that if, you know, I made it through everything, because a lot of people think, oh, you know, once you bounce back from, you know, once you have your suicide attempt, you know, and you survive it, once you bounce back, everything is uphill. No, everything went downhill. Like, it's like, like I said, that wasn't my rock bottom. The rock bottom was just lurking beneath that. But, you know, with that being five years, you know, I promised myself that I would do something special for myself in a major way if I made it five years and I was still here. And I'm still here. So originally I was going to go to Japan with one of my best friends, but Rona. So, you know, I, and then that bummed me out even more. I'm like, damn, what, what my big dream of celebrating being alive in the country I wanted to go to. Why? Like, oh my God, it was a whole thing. So it was a whole thing. So I was just like, okay, well, what's something else, you know, that I really want to do in my life? And aside from finishing my little Lion King tattoo on my wrist, um, I wanted to like, I wanted to do something that was just, you know, I'm here, you know, I'm in my thirties now. Like, let me iron out what is, and I'm just like acting classes. Like, and I feel like I've been doing the work in learning, like, you know, how to record audio and learning how to edit videos. And like, a lot of that is like really new. And that's why I'm always shocked when people say like, oh, your videos are really well done. I'm just like, are they like, because I literally just learned this stuff like an hour before I made the video. I don't know if it's good. You know, like, I'm a, I'm really my own worst critic, but, like, it's so really just learning. And, you know, it, it, it makes it even better that, you know, Johnny, uh, our founder for Norris Caesar, was kind enough to invest in me, you know, with recording equipment and stuff like that. Like, I started out with um, a little microphone that you just plug in USB, um, nothing, like, special, like, at all. Um, but then, mm. like, you know, I upgraded, like, gradually to, like, a little sound recording thing. You know, now I've got, like, um sound blockers i've got like a, a screen for my microphone i've got a genuinely a genuine microphone that i'm not working here because i do not have a proper setup like damn it like it's, i usually record from the office because recording from home is such a headache but i was away from the office so i just wanted to really go forward with that idea you know just become a voice actor and kind of once again like turn like a negative into a positive you know a negative that held me down for so long into something really positive and just branch out and you know voice these crazy characters like i'm always like mouthing like you know i'm always watching different anime things and mouthing them and trying to act out like how you know i would react like you know if i was in the studio saying that and so i figured if i really wanted to get good at this i needed a lot of technical practice because i am like i said i have autism i have autism like so i have to be hands-on when i learn that's why like i'll never be good at like youtube tutorials like with makeup i'm just like no if you're not in front of me and i can't physically see what you were doing and you are not explaining your process to the barest <laughs> minuscule thing then I, I i can't i can't follow it you know like i i wouldn't benefit at all from like like online classes like i think i might if i applied myself just hard enough but for the most part like i need to learn it in person you know that's that's how my brain like you know just picks it up and just retains information like i have to do it like you know with a professional who knows exactly what they are doing so um john recommended that i do classes and he was kind enough to look into whether or not you know this school was a uh, 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 you know, a reliable one. And, you know, it's a, it's a good, it's a good one. So he's like, you know what? I feel comfortable enough telling you that you can spend your money here and you'll get, you know, your money's worth. This looks really good. So he was nice enough to verify that for me. 
Because I'm kind of naive. Like, I totally fell for, like, one of those, like, Nigerian, like, scams, like, money scams, like, years ago <laughs> in my 20s. So, like, I, I, yeah, I know. But so with voice acting and everything, another thing that I really wanted to do as far as voice acting was um, I want to be able to really earn my place in any future animations that North Caesar does. Um, like, you know, I don't want to just be, okay, you're going to be in this because you work for the company. No, I want to be in this anime because you guys genuinely think that I'm talented and that I, you know, am good with this character. Like, my dream is to ultimately, when Language of Flowers, if and when Language of Flowers gets animated, I want to be able to have found my voice enough to have not voice a minor character to voice Amara herself. Oh my gosh, that'd be awesome. I feel like that would just be one of the... Like, I could just, I, like, I, the, the dreams I have of it, like, here's this anime with all of these crazy things, not even, with the, not even crazy, but, like, these different things and amazing things, and, you know, not only that, but, like, the person who created it, like, is voicing <laughs> the lead character, and they're good at it. Like, I don't want to just, like, I, I, you know, I don't want to just voice Amara, like, if the time comes and it's animated, and I still haven't found the right voice for it, I'm not going to even attempt it. I'm going to leave that to someone who I know could do it. You know, so, and even with voice acting, ideally, if Hanukkah does get um, animated, I would love for my characters to be represented accurately. So if Amar is a black woman, a black woman plays her. If Asahi is a Japanese trans man, I want a Japanese trans man playing Asahi. Like, you know, like that sort of thing like that. So that's something I am really, really, really looking forward to. I'm going to try and keep it, you know, as close to being as authentic as humanly possible. Like, I know that doesn't always work out in, in the voice acting industry because it, it's it's not a perfect world, unfortunately. But, you know, that would be my ideal, like, voice acting role. And that, voicing somebody in, like, a lead character in a Persona game or Pokemon or Sailor Moon. Like, those <laughs> are my dream roles right there. But, you know, I am happy to see, like, future titles and, you know, to be able to be involved with that. And I'm excited to see how I can grow as a voice actor. Like, I'm still really rough around the edges, but I am excited to kind of grow from this, so. Yeah, I'm, that's so incredible and so inspiring to see, like, you know, where you were, like, five years ago, and then how, what you're doing now, and, like, that's so incredible. Like, I, I really, really think everything you do is super amazing. Thank you. Really Thank you so much. I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to, like, give myself as much hype as other people give me. I'm just like, oh, thanks, awkward, thank you. Like, like yeah, I, I am a terribly awkward person, but I am getting better, so this, you know, I, I am getting better. I can't be the social media face and be, like, terribly socially awkward. I didn't think that that would work. I didn't think that, I, you know, you could represent a company and be the face of the company and then also be terribly socially awkward, but it works. <laughs> so it's nice to find people who understand that, like, this awkwardness isn't going away. Like, this is on 24-7. So, like, it's nice to be able to work with a company that understands it. You know, will let me be myself, you know, to the full extent of me. You know, and I feel like that's why I really would say that right now I, I have, like, my dream job. Like, so I, I'm very content with the rest of right? uh, That's just so wonderful to hear. And, yeah, again, I look forward to all the work you're doing and then all the work no War Caesar is doing. And I want to thank you so much for your time coming on and just sharing your amazing experiences and your story with us, because this was just so fun and so incredible. Thank you so much for having me and taking time for like having me. This was a blast. Like I would love to do it again soon. Like this was a lot of fun. <laughs>
Yeah, like, I, we'd love to have you on again to talk about anything you're interested in. Like, if we ever cover Ayazawa's stuff, not in particular, like, I'd love to have you a part of that yes, conversation. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. I'd be so down. Yeah, but I want you to, like, let people know, like, where they can find you on social media, find your work, Kanakotoba, Noir Caesar. So if you want to, like, plug, like, everything you're doing. Okay, so you can find... Me personally at J-A-X-J-A-X-A-T-T-A-X-X on all social media. Um, and then, of course, follow Nor Caesar, N-O-I-R-C-A-E-S-A-R. Um, we are, you know, everywhere under that um, handle, except for Facebook, which is Nor Caesar LLC, I believe. So, you know, follow us on there. Um, we're on Instagram, YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Um, I think I've named all of oh we're on twitch too you know occasionally we're trying to find a good schedule for our gaming streaming stuff but um what else and of course um follow hanakotoba manga i gotta get into the habit of updating it more but uh follow hanakotoba manga on social media so it's uh h-a-n-a-k-o-t oh my god o-b-a-m-a-n-g-a good lord I, i almost had it i'll be able to say it without like stuttering over it but that's where you guys can find me. And yeah, it was really great talking to everybody. I loved, uh, I loved list. I loved being able like, to have this conversation. Like, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And yeah, we'll have links to everything in the description too. Please check it out. And with that, I think we'll head into our wrap up of the show. Okie dokie. Sounds good. Thanks again to Jax for coming on the show, sharing their experiences, and what to look forward to in their new manga, Hanakotoba. I'm excited to read it, and looking forward to it launching alongside a slew of other great homegrown manga on Noir Caesar's app next year. On that note, we'll dive straight into community shoutouts, where I'll once again recommend the Noir Caesar YouTube channel that Jax hosts and manages. Jax does a ton of great videos on anime, some recent videos of theirs being 10 horror series that are going to traumatize you, and weighing in on the self versus dust debate. Jax also conducts great interviews with black creatives in anime and in the entertainment industry, including Monique Candelaria, who plays Yahima in Lovecraft Country, Bill Butts, who plays Bakuzan in One Punch Man and Chocolata in JoJo's, and John Eric Bentley, the voice of Barrett, in the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Jax's videos and interviews are fantastic, fun, and educational, and really deserve more attention, so please check out the links in the show notes to their channel, and subscribe and check them out. Now, our Caesar is doing some great work creating anime and manga series centering black voices, and are among many other great black creatives in the industry and fandom to check out. We've mentioned Josh Shadajo several times on the show before, but there was another great interview with founder Artel Isam recently on Forbes that gives some cool insights on what it's been like for Artel to live and work in Japan as a black manga and anime fan and the culture clash and influences and advice he has for working abroad. And it's a good read. And for even more great insights into the anime industry, you really got to check out Josh Stagio's YouTube channel where he and Henry Turlo share their insights and advice working in animation and in the animation industry in Japan specifically. They're really informational and it's awesome to listen to weekly conversational vlogs about working on anime from folks who are working on some really great projects, including major staples like One Piece. On the subject of vlogs and more casual content, I got a shout-out. Friend of the show, Black Manga Critics, Dora Hedora, watch along fundraiser streams. They are watching through the anime live for the first time to raise money for Books Behind Bars, a UK-based charity, working to bring 
important literature to LGBTQ inmates across the UK. It's fun to see his reactions to the show so far, as he's been going through it blind, and I'm glad he's getting a kick out of it. BMC is raising money for a cause that he really, really cares about, really means a lot to him, and I think it's very important. So please check out his streams as he announces them on Twitter, and throw in some donations to Books Behind Bars to help the cause. And BMC's efforts to raise charity reflects a lot of the remarkable good that fans in this community can do, black fans in particular. And Dennis Bonda wrote a great piece on ANN recently, exploring the power of fandom to encourage diversity and influence the media they consume and create, specifically in regards to the relationship between black fans and anime, where an anime has most definitely appropriated black culture and its aesthetics, while black creators, both professionally and in fandom, have embraced anime in their own art and creative expression, and in the case of Josh Rasho, have started creating their own anime themselves. Now, this piece also explores black creators in fandom and in the convention and cosplay scene and addresses ongoing problems of discrimination and lack of representation on screen, behind the scenes, and as con guests. And it also emphasizes that black creators and fans have been working to change that, citing examples like Adorned by Chi by Jacques whose success really demonstrates the power and demand for more black representation in anime and manga and the strength of creating a community centered around black anime and manga content. And that brings me to a great video by the cartoon Cypher that explores the need for representation in the voice acting space for anime cartoons, why it's important for black voice actors to represent black characters, while also allowing them opportunities to play other roles, leveling the playing field by providing more access and opportunities to roles in an industry that has been long been dominated by white actors. It's a great video that looks at how people of color have been historically portrayed in anime dubs, and includes successes and misses, how things have been improving, cites examples of why representation is necessary and meaningful and impactful for viewers, and particularly for fans who want to see and hear themselves in the media they like. But, of course, despite improvements made in representation, there still lies a problem of discrimination against black fans, and particularly black women, in the fandom and community, which we've addressed before in previous episodes on the subject, and most notably our Black Representation podcast a while ago. And Stitch over at Teen Vogue recently wrote an article chastising the gatekeeping of anime by men who ridiculously claim that women, particularly famous women like Megadie Stalin, only like anime for clout, describing what actually drives women like them and Megan and so many others to actually like anime, why the idea of faking a love for anime for clout is bullshit and dumb and stupid because the bullshit black women receive for being fans far outweighs any supposed cred they'd possibly receive, so this nerd cred idea is fucking ridiculous. And Stitch points out that this is a real double standard for black women, especially compared to black men, who are generally more accepted for their love of anime in comparison, and why this division in the black anime community is just showing more gatekeeping in a fandom that's already rife with anti-blackness and racism on social media. So ultimately, the point of the piece is that anime is mainstream, which means it's enjoyed by everyone, all sorts of people, including black women, and no one's faking and just anime is special, and we really should be a more inclusive and egalitarian and accepting and loving community. But anime appeals to people across countries and cultures, and it's great seeing creators out of Japan create anime that incorporates and represents their own culture as mythologies. And Crunchyroll's new original series Onyx Equinox is a great example of this, creating an epic fantasy adventure story incorporating Mesoamerican myths, gods, legends, and history. Creator Sophia Alexander reveals a lot of great insights into her inspirations in creating the series in both 
its anime and cultural influences in an interview conducted by friend of the show Kate Sanchez on the Buck Wido podcast. It was a really great conversation that got really sweet and very emotional by the end. Really giving great insights into the history and culture the show is drawing from and is hoping to represent. And more cultural background was provided in another special video made by Crunchyroll that looks into the history behind the gods representing the show, their relationships, the settings, uh, the meaning behind the principal characters' names. More great insights on the show's themes of production can be found in the Onyx Equinox Companion podcast, where Sophia and some of the writers of the show are going to, every episode, go into how they went about writing out the show from Sophia's initial ideas, the themes and story beats that really mattered to them to get across, including some of the story's darker beats, like its violence, that, and the theme of healing from grief over loss. I really appreciate the behind-the-scenes insights on the creative process of a show, and think it's really cool that they're producing this podcast on a weekly basis to accompany the show, and this this series really seems like a labor of love. It's something unique and special that I'm seeing a lot of people love and enjoy and feel validated and represented by, which I think is really awesome. But even so, that does not necessarily mean that the show's representation of Black, Indigenous, Mesoamerican characters and culture is necessarily the most appropriate representation or the best representation as Lizzie Visitante explored in their review of the first episode on Anime Feminist where they detailed their frustration at the human sacrifice tropes used in the show and how they are often over-exaggerated and conflated with indigenous empires in Latin America and the problematic history of that but also their disgust and how upset they were to witness the wild events of so many indigenous characters on the show, just right off the bat. And based on Sophia's interviews, it doesn't seem like the use of these tropes and this violence towards black indigenous characters was ill-intentioned, but Lizzie's perspective importantly shows that the good intentions of people sometimes do not always mean good representation, and I think Lizzie's is an important perspective to keep in mind when evaluating how the show treats and depicts pre-colonial Mesoamerican peoples and culture while watching it going forward. But speaking of homegrown anime s shows that appropriate a pre-colonial Latin American mythology in ways that are perhaps problematic, but perhaps self-aware of their own problematicness, and maybe that's part of the point, uh, Maxine Simonet's love letter to anime and world religions, the episode of Machu Picchu, has been airing its second season on Adult Swim recently, and it continues to be one of my favorite cartoons uh, ongoing right now. Tanami Faithful did a great interview with Max recently where he shared some of the insights on the production of both seasons of the show, including his feelings of some of its more problematic aspects, like having a conversation over whether the show is cultural appropriation or not, and I thought the conversation the interview was really sincere and thoughtful and really shed a lot of cool light on the top process behind the show and the themes explored in it. And even more great insights into the show's production, the first season production in particular, was done with a ton of great folks who worked on it, including the various actors, editors, animators, and musicians involved with the show, on a six-hour-long livestream commentary of the first season that was done right before the second season premiered called The Gemma Soto Ruwachu Pichu, which I highly recommend checking out for a great look at old creative talent and creative thinking that goes into producing any cartoon, but especially this one, as fast and loose and piecemeal as Gemma Soto was produced. But I also really recommend watching that live stream because it was the first live stream event filmed in the Adult Swim Stream Studios since the quarantine began, and sadly, it is its last hurrah, because Adult Swim has shuttered their streams division as part of a slew of layoffs dictated by their corporate overlords over at AT&T, 
meaning much of the streams talents that worked on the shows and on Gemisetto have been fired. The streams have all ended by the time we're listening to this, giving their last hurrah with one final fish center on Wednesday the 25th. And these streams were an incredible showcase of talent and creativity from both the host and the community of fans and callers who turned in, like creating incredible art, music, animation, and sharing and learning, growing from the feedback and interaction. It was just a really awesome interactive community, and Adult Swim Streams was a really incredible community of people, and it seemed like the soul of the channel almost, and with their closure and the departure of so many people in general to making the network what it was, all I can hope for is that everyone on the stream team goes on to keep creating great art, working on bigger and better things. But there are a few shows in particular I want to salute one last time. I encourage you to check out if you missed out on them, starting with Blood Feast, which was hosted by Max and his frequent collaborator, also Colossum Fist Center, Dave Monowitz, as they ostensibly, the premise of the show was to solve the New York Times cross puzzle, but more or less the show was more of an off-the-walls talk to sketch show where they created their own skits and animations and radio plays and played them for the audience, and the greatest hits of the videos that they made were shown in their finale episode, which also featured several guest appearances by other members of the stream team who were participating in creating Blood Beast and making it special as it was. And you can also check out Dave Bonavitz's collection of older Blood Beast episodes that were edited for and aired on television, basically 11-minute supercuts of the greatest moments from various different episodes of the show, which comprise a great collection of some of the show's best bits in lieu of having the entire run of it available, which Sally may never surface, but at least we have some of the greatest moments of the show online and accessible for fans to revisit. But another great show to check out is Fan Fiction Showdown, which was a fanfic competition show run by Wham City Comedy, who are freaking collaborators with Adult Swim, probably most famous for their work on some of its most memorable informational shows, like Untitled footage of a bear, and this house has people in it. And the show was hosted by Ben O'Brien, and side competitors Robbie Ratcliffe and Cricket Arison, by fanfics based around rare shows and concepts like Sex in the City, Titanic, and even World War One. And of course, these fanfics were always the most batshit crazy and hilariously bizarre things you could never imagine. And coupled with their hilarious banter, it was always a hoot to watch. And since we're a manga, Focus podcast, I'll give my strongest recommendation to check out their DBZ episode, where since neither Robbie or Cricket knew or cared to know anything about DBZ, they basically just wrote parodies of other series, namely Star Wars and Friends, and just slapped the DBZ characters on them to very hilarious results. It was really funny. Really great show, and out of all the cancelled streams, it actually may have the best chance of being retooled and revived elsewhere based on the rumblings I've heard. And if that ends up being the case, I'm definitely going to give it a new shout-out in the future for where you can find it if it does indeed return. But the last stream show I want to shout-out was probably my favorite, Development Meeting, where Adult Swim execs Walter, Cam, and Jody reviewed pictures sent in by callers, many of them really well taught out to an inspiring level of professional polish. I always love seeing the creativity on display by the hopeful show creators I called into Development Meeting, and I'm sad that I'll never get my own chance to pitch a show on the show itself, and Development Meeting went out with a bang, I think, with their final episode being a four-hours-plus-long showcase of new and returning talent, including folks who got their starts in the industry and careers from pitching to Development Meeting, which was really heartening and inspiring to see. And alongside that episode, I'm also going to link the recent episodes that guest starred Eric Andre, as well as the episode that guest starred Samurai Jack creator Gidney Tartakovsky and Dilton founder Mike Lazo. 
as all three providing great advice and insights on how to make a successful pitch and what you should focus on and what people are looking for in the creative process. It's really just cool to hear from established industry wets like them in general about how to go about, you know, making a show succeeding in the industry. And that's what made development meetings so educational and informational and wonderful as a resource and opportunity for aspiring artists to get their stuff seen and maybe even get their starts. And I can only hope something like it can one day be provided for aspiring artists once again. There were many, so many incredible adult swim stream shows and episodes that deserve to be remembered and visited, but sadly most of them are not archived on Adult Swim's website, and who knows where it'll keep the existing episodes that are up there right now on the show pages up for much longer. Thankfully, Keon World, who runs the Cartoon Network and Adult Swim Schedule's Twitter, has created resources archiving much of the older stream's contents through a spreadsheet linking to places where older episodes can be found and downloaded, as well as a YouTube channel called Bloodfeast Highlights that, like the name implies, primarily focuses on uploading highlights from Bloodfeast and Fist Center, the premiere and flagship show of the Adult Swim streams that Max and Dave and Matt Harrigan and Cho and Tina were the hosts of, and while not complete archives of older streams contents, these are great resources to check out all that's been saved in them, that's been found, and revisiting rescuffering, everything they did over the course of six years. And the death of the streams also most likely means the death of the Adult Swim podcast, considering its host, Matt Harrigan, was one of the many, many people laid off. And Matt was one of the founders of Adult Swim, really. He was with William Street since the Space Coast Coast days, and he was an incredible host and interviewer. I love the Adult Swim podcast and the insights gleaned from key figures who were, quote, on camera behind the scenes to make the network and shows what they were, and any episodes that delved into the early days of Adult Swim, like interviews with George Lowe and Andy Merrill, were not just education, but sincerely emotional and moving. And the Adult Swim podcast was just a great look into the minds of the people responsible for creating a network, made the community that attracted and gave voice to an entire generation of people, and I'm really going to miss it, truly. The streams, Matt Harrigan, the rest of the Adult Swim streams team... And I just want to thank them immensely for all their hard work over the years. Wish them the best and hope they'll keep swimming on to fresher waters. But as we say farewell to the Adult Swim streams, we must also say farewells on this podcast. Though in our case, uh, it's only until the next episode, thankfully. But I hope you will enjoy the show and have a happy Thanksgiving, or as happy Thanksgiving weekend as you can, while looking forward to the last installment of LGB Thanksgiving, our retrospective on the Kasei-san manga by Hiromi Takashima. Yes, the decade-spanning, genre-defining Yuri manga. We're going to be discussing it with some very special guests, Erica Friedman, Yuri Scholar Extraordinaire, and Okazu and Yurikon founder, and Kid and Sarah, the hosts of the Yuri-focused podcast, Tomo Chaco. We had a delightful conversation about the series with them, and I think it's going to make for a very sweet wrap-up to LGB Thanksgiving. And I know I was a little late with this one, but I do hope to get the Katsu-san episode out before the end of November, so hopefully LGB Thanksgiving does not bleed into November, I mean December, but then again, Christmas always bleeds into Thanksgiving, so maybe some uh, turnaround might be fair for once. Maybe Thanksgiving should bleed into Christmas time. Who knows? I, I think that would be 
valid and worthwhile sometimes. But regardless, if you want to check out more of my work while you're waiting for the next episode of the podcast, you can find me on Twitter as at Lomomayasha and pretty much everywhere I'm at by that name. Wherever there's a Lomomayasha, that's where you can find me. And you can also read my manga reviews on all.com. We've got a lot of books coming in, a lot of books going out. So look forward to more. And as for the show, you can find Manga Mavericks on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks on Tumblr at MangaMavericks.tumblr.com and on YouTube at YouTube.com/MangaMavericks. Or just search for the channel in the search bar and you'll find it. We're also on every podcast living platform you can think of, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you're so inclined, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a rating and review to help us go and reach more hearts and ears and minds. And you can also send us feedback at our email address at mymavericks.gmail.com. We really appreciate feedback, and it helps us improve the show and make things even better. And you can also help us make the show better by supporting us on Patreon where we have a variety of tier options you can choose to subscribe to us at for a slew of perks and privileges, including early access to select podcasts at our $2 tier, and monthly bonus podcasts at our $5 tier. In fact, uh, $2 subscribers were able to listen to this interview with Jax over three months before you guys got to, so we've got tons of podcasts up on our Patreon early weeks to months in advance with the public release, including our recent podcast on Taikuba's Burn the Witch, where we interviewed the series official localization team from this media, about their experience working in the manga industry in this series. And again, our monthly bonus podcast series is always a hoot. Currently, the series showcases Colted and Doctor going through Saint Seiya, the manga, for the first time. They're currently in the Poseidon arc. We'll probably wrap that up at the end of December, so you'll definitely want to tune into that and check that out. There's a lot to check out from us. We've got a lot of cool podcasts planned. Not just next week, but through the end of December and into next year. Yeah, there really is a lot to look forward to. A true Thanksgiving bounty to feast the podcast. But until next time, until you can all indulge in the nice year-long Thanksgiving that is Manga Mavericks, piece by piece, week by week. This has been one installment, this has been one piece, the 141st episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast, and we will see you next time for the next one. Sayonara!